Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Philippe Humo, CEO of CrowdSec, an amazing cybersecurity software company based in Paris, France. Philippe, welcome to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Hi, Sean. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, Philippe, you are welcome, sir. Like I was telling you, it's a treat. I love when we are able to connect our audience to amazing leaders in the security and technology space. And certainly you are one of them. And so, Philippe, why don't you jump in and share your background with our audience? Uh, yeah, sure. Hopefully, I hope I won't be disappointing them. That's quite a, a lot of comments, uh, compliments you make to me. I'm from a background of pen testing, actually. I started my career as a pen tester 25 years ago, something like this, <laughs> a bit less, uh, 21 years ago. And um, I really loved this job. You know, it was absolutely amazing. I started with this guy that used to crack software for uh, this Atari ST and Amiga games, you know, his name was in front of all those cracks. And I was, I met him in the engineering school. And I was like, okay, but wait, it's you? Wait, you were 10 when you're doing this? Because I was 10 myself. He was, yeah, I was 10. Oh, okay, you were cracking games, you were 10. And now what are you doing? And the guy, he showed me like this rabbit hole wonderland thing. And it was tremendous discovery for me. And I, I, I dove into it right away. And I wanted to be a pen tester, and this is what I did for a decade after, yeah. Okay. All right. And so bring us up to today. Brag a little bit about CrowdSec. What do you guys bring to the security ecosystem? Okay. What's new about CrowdSec? What has not been done before? If you ask me to brag, it's going to take forever. Really, I'm good at that. So here and now, after just probably 16 months of the product being out on the market, we are very most likely the biggest CTI network on earth, right? Is it bragging enough already? <laughs> so that I mean, good. no, keep bragging, my friend. Keep bragging. <laughs> that's good stuff, Philippe. That's, All right, that's right. very good so, stuff. Why, why that? Because the way we do things, uh, we are not spawning honeypots over the internet and listening to whatever is thrown at them because honeypots are giving you an unrealistic view of what's happening. First of all, they are spread on one or two clouds or three maximum, you know, because you cannot automate that on a large scale. Otherwise, it's 100 or 200 machines. That's cute. And it simulates services, meaning it's, it makes as if it was a web service, as if it was an SSH, as if it was a terminal server or a Microsoft something uh, somewhere behind. But the reality is cyber criminals don't care about people faking being something. They are targeting real services real life companies for real profit. So what we do here is entirely different on all those axes, my friend. The first axis is it's not 100 or 200 machines. We already are collecting signals from tens of thousands of machines across the world okay. in 126 countries 
machines that are not on the same AS, not on continuous IP range or stuff like that. They are as diverse as they can be. The second thing is it's not fake services, it's real services. It's real value, real money that is defended here, uh, real uh, intellectual property, real business taking place e-commerce it's you know main, uh, mainstream blogs it uh, could be like sensitive access to whatever vpn corporate and all so those things are retargeted really by real cyber criminals okay so it's another level of precision we get and the last thing is usually cti is not actionable so you get an information like abcd is dangerous so what do you do you put something on the microwave a post-it saying don't connect to abcd that's not actionable to me what we do is a software that is both generating this information on the one end and consuming it on the other end. So meaning when ABCD, ABCD is detected as being dangerous, we send it to all IPSs around the world and this is blocked in real time. This is actionable. Okay. Well, Philippe, like you said, you are certainly good at bragging, but <laughs> in, in, in all seriousness, you know, when, when you talk about differentiating yourself, in the marketplace. I think you did an outstanding job of helping our audience understand what CrowdSec does differently. And so let's stay on that same train of thought. You're the, you're the CEO there at CrowdSec. What has you most excited about your daily work? I am both thrilled, entertained, and sometimes disappointed by how VC are percepting what we're doing because we tell them, you know, guys, we are doing an open source software. Like, okay, open source means free. No, open source doesn't mean free, but in this case, you're right. It's a stroke of luck. It's free as well. Like, okay, so where do you make money? You know, and they start sweating. I'm like, oh, no worries. We're creating a gold mine, right? And the thing is, I never met someone that had a gold mine with no one ready to lend them caterpillars. If I have a gold mine, someone will lend me something to dig into it. So no worries. We have a monetization plan, like you like to call it, where we will make money uh, toward big accounts, blah, 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 blah. And uh, like, okay, they start to, to, to breathe a bit. But it's just the beginning of the struggle because then they ask, but what is your North Star KPI? For, for your listener, what they call the North Star KPI is the most important KPI in the company. The one, as a CEO, you should be watching uh, you know, day in, day out uh, on your screen. Okay. And I'm like, well, it's a number of signals, the number of signals that the network is sending to us. So now we are getting 100, uh, 650,000 signals, so violations registered by the network per day. And that's probably a thousand times more than any other network, actually. And it's like, okay, well, that's important. That's impressive. Well, wow, right. Okay, so how many users? Ah, wrong question. Why wrong question? Because a user doesn't mean anything, my friend. A user can be at Amazon handling millions of machines and it's one user. Or a user can be my next door neighbor uh, handling his own gateway and it's still a user and he can use the same product. <laughs> and like, okay, well, okay, so user is not relevant. Okay, so how many machines? And uh, not relevant either. You know why? Because machines nowadays, they spawn, they fold, they shrink, they disappear, they're created in minutes. It's called containers, it's modern architecture. So a machine that is here cannot be here the next minute or will not be here the next minute and, not, and so on and so forth. So, you know, counting machines doesn't make a difference. Moreover, if one machine is defending itself, it counts like one, right? But one machine can be defending 10 or 100 or 1,000 others for what we know. So counting machine doesn't make sense. 
And usually at that stage, the guy is either giving up and saying, okay, that's not for us. Or it's like, ah, this thing is so intriguing. I need to know more. And this is a joy when they say this. Oh, that's awesome. So let's, let's stay with that for a bit, Philippe, because one of the things that I found in talking early round or series A, series B founders is VC alignment, right? In investor alignment. And I started to hear some of that as you were talking, because like you said, you've got some that they want to know, they want the stats, right? How many users? What's your, what's your growth rate? You know, how many salespeople do you have? And you know, how many accounts are you in? They, they want to know all of that, but if they're not sold on Philippe and the vision, the long-term vision, talk to us about how important it is for you to be properly aligned with your VC or with an investor. Well, if they invested already, it's extremely important, obviously, because they gave us money and we have to be fair and, and return what, what they expect, you know, what we committed to. If they didn't give us money yet, I don't care. You know, mostly I don't care because this is a product I make for my community, for my users. So it's not a product I make for the VCs. So I'm not here in a contest, in a show to be VC compatible and that people like me or whatever. If they think we're right, they're welcome to invest. If they think we're in the wrong direction, they're welcome not to. The problem is the following. If our network is big enough, we will have a network effect like Waze had in its time. You know, We will become the de facto standard of cybersecurity because we'll have the real-time map on Earth of every cybercriminal IP. And this has value, whatever they think about, it has a lot of value. And some point, at some point, an hyperscaler will say, wow, that has so much value, we want that in. So if you're a VC, just think about the end of the story. Someone will require us, that's absolutely sure. Now for the in-between story, it's just community-driven. So if you want to put us into some like a framework, we won't fit. And the thing is, and this is another power of the community. It's like, if it doesn't work, it's not a problem because we will make an ICO. We'll fund ourselves through the community itself because the community knows the value of the product. They know what they're getting from us, from using the product. They know that it's absolutely unique. So if at some point we have any problem financing ourselves, we'll tell the community guys, it's crowdfunding or ICO or whatever, please join in because if you like the product, it's a moment where you can make a difference and they will commit, my friend. I'm pretty sure of that. Now on the good side, on the bright side, we already have like major hosting companies that use the product, where they have like major banks that, are, that is using the product. We know that the DOD is using the product. So we don't track the users because it's open source for God's sake. It's a mighty license. I don't need to know about you. I don't want to know about you. I don't want to you know, spoof your secrets and, and know how to sell better to you. If you like it, if I do a good job, you will uh, naturally buy the premium product. If you don't like it, or if I don't make my premium product more attractive, yeah, it's my problem and I have to solve it. But bottom line is, if we're good, it's gonna flow nicely, not a problem. Love that answer, especially the focus on the community. And I think that's, especially with um, everything that's been going on with Apache and you know the LogJ4 vulnerability, I think people have somehow um, soured in a way Mm -hmm. on on open source mm -hmm. but 
I don't think the problem is open source in and of itself, especially in the in the um, in the case of the Apache Foundation. The problem was they are volunteer driven, right? And companies of all sizes and shapes, they're using Apache in their own tools that they're then flipping and selling to their clients, right? So the problem isn't open source. The problem is what I would call takers, where you are using something that is free or almost free, and then you're adding your code and your proprietary software and other things to it, and then selling it as a commodity. But then when there's something going wrong with it, you don't want to allocate the resources to help fix it. So, yeah, there are so many things we can touch base on regarding the state of open source lately. And it's really a brilliant discussion uh, you're opening here because, well, first of all, we are fighting against one thing. I don't want this old school vision of open source like you should be a monk, eat from edible moss in the forest and give your, uh, your knowledge for free. That's bullshit, 100%. Sorry, Stallman, not a fan of you guy. I think those guys are just brilliant. They have a unique know-how, they have unique knowledge, and if you want them to be focused 100% on maintaining good quality code, it, they have to be you know, incentivized and paid normally, first of all. Second thing, they have to, be, to have stakes in the business. Like all my employees, I mean all my employees, have shares all stock options in a way or another. So there's no disalignment between the leadership and the people producing the product. We even think of giving shares to the community itself because the people are the ones life. Uh, the next thing I would say around this is like XKCD made it very clear through a, a drawing. The guy is, is brilliant as we know. And he made this pile of you know things intricate that just rely on one matchstick and this matchstick is a piece of software that is maintained forever by someone in Wyoming that never asked for any money and that is now liable for whatever because a big company has been a compromise through Log4j. Honestly guys, you knew it. You had to pay, you could support, you could do whatever you want. You just didn't pay attention to it. You just didn't want to spend, you just wanted to profit for zero. Right. The last thing I would add here is Company like Amazon and others, AWS namely, are not really rendering a service to open source by you know, taking the product, putting it in production on mass scale and not paying any license to anyone. That's not really fair game. And that's why people like Elasticsearch decided to change their licenses, for example. It's not because they changed their mind regarding open source at all. It's because they were ripped out from their value by large hyperscaler players that were making money on their back. So they have a, a complicated problem to deal with. We, I tried to solve that impossible equation by the following. The guys are extremely well paid and they have shares. Second thing is we are well financed because VCs that understand what we are doing, they do exist and we like them and they put us money in the pockets to help you know, raise the, the product to the next level. And also on top of that, our value is not in our code. Our value is in our network, in our community, which is way different. I mean, if someone would try to recreate ways, it's too late. If someone is trying to recreate Facebook, it's too late. Even Google tried and failed. So. It's, it's a proof that the network effect is probably very complicated to kick off, but once it's there, it's over. The open source is immortal and networks are immortal. So if you combine the two, uh, an open source creating a network, there are good chances that your product is immortal. And that's why 
uh, we had so many constraints put on our thinking regarding the business plan and uh, monetization. And that's how we came to these conclusions that I shared with you. Oh, that's great. Philippe, thank you so much for indulging me with that answer. So let me ask you this. Your, your clients, your customers, what would you say is their biggest security issue? If I, if I mainly base this answer on my, on my own experience, I would say that they are maintaining the cybersecurity hygiene like the classical stuff we do as human, you know, washing in the shower every morning, brushing our teeth, things like this. They, it's extremely hard to do it in the company. And the bigger the company, the harder it becomes. You know, be sure that everyone brushes teeth and took a shower. But in the cybersecurity world, it translates to having a strong password, changing it regularly, not taking risks, stupid risks, uh, having people work at home on different networks. And, you know, the little kid that is using the PlayStation 5 or an Android device that we don't know who he will shift from and so on and so forth. So it's extremely hard to enforce the cybersecurity hygiene on a daily basis. And when you see the most uh, visible hacks that we had lately, they are not extremely convoluted. Sorry to say, but the solar wind thing, the solar wind was extremely well exploited, but the way they broke in is not very sophisticated as such. Right. Sorry, but you know, brute force is something I was doing when I was a, a student at school. It's not a brand new uh, hidden technique, whatever. The thing is, when you're this CISO, there are two options when you are in, in solar wind. Either you say you fend off and you fought with like the most brilliant hackers in the world that broke impossible security, blah, blah, blah. Or you say that you were not able to enforce the basic security thing and your FTP was stupidly hacked by a brute force. In the first case, you're likely to get a promotion because you're a hero. In the second case, you're likely to get fired because you made a mistake. And the reality is it's probably not the CISO score anyway. Someone, a trainee, left a bad password somewhere or, or smart ass the others thinking that this password would be uh, easy to remember but impossible to find for the hackers. So that's just an example, but there are so many things that are so hard to enforce on a daily basis. And that's why CrowdSec is helping you to do just this. Enforce things that you want to see applied on the, on the global network everywhere and look for things that you want to be sure are covered on the global log stash or whatever you're using lockpit you have. Okay. And so Philippe, you, you actually touched quite nicely on what would have been the follow-up question, which is, you know, how is CrowdSec helping with that security hygiene and with that, that overall security posture? Elaborate a little on, more on that. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> first of all, being a former pen tester and my team being mostly made of pen testers themselves, we've been facing both sides. You know, we did high security hosting and we did pen testing. So we saw where to go through, where we can go through and what is the difficulty on the other side, on the people defending. So let me put it this way. We looked at what are our weaknesses. The first thing is time. We never get to choose when we are attacked. The second thing is money. You know, you can put as much money as you want and still be hacked, you know, by someone putting not a, a thousands of your budget on the table to hack. And the last thing is perimeter. It's tremendously growing constantly. And there's no way we are back to the pager and, and to fax to make business. So you have to have those containers, those SaaS drives, those SaaS platforms, cloud drives, sorry, containers, VM, bare metal, and so on and so forth. So we're not going back here. And there's a supply chain and there's a VPN and so on and so forth. So your uh, surface of contact with the cyber criminal tremendously expanded. On our side, what are our strengths? 
Well, the first thing is we are uh, in a demographic power, right? Because we are more people willing to use the internet in a proper way than cyber criminals by probably a tenfold or a hundredfold factor, meaning we can really outnumber them, literally. If we can find the tool to just outnumber them properly and coordinate, we will outnumber them, like in an army. In the army, no one goes alone against 10,000 people, or except in Hollywood, maybe. But the reality is, when you want to face an army of 10,000 people, you send 50,000 people just to avoid having uh, stupid casualties, right? So this is what we're doing, outnumbering. The second thing is, we have to strike in their supply chain, where it hurts. And where it hurts, my friend, is the following. They have one resource in scarcity and one alone, to my knowledge. It's IP addresses. Because they have to hide what they do behind IP addresses, which is obviously not their own. So they rob it, they steal them, they buy them, they rent them, you know, they harness them, they hurt them. It costs time and money. And we burn them constantly, day in, day out. When they use a, when they use a new one, we burn it. We report it. We, you know, we do these ways of firewall. So that's why we are attacking the sole resource that they have in scarcity. How do we do it? We have an agent, which is basically an IDS, right? It read logs, any kind of logs, and it applies scenarios. Scenarios can be like anti-brute force, uh, credential brute force can be pulse scan, web scan, layer seven DDoS, uh, letter remove, ransomware, blah, 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 whatever. If it leaves trace, we can read them. And if there are trays, we can find a behavior using a scenario. And then when we, once we found the bad behavior, we want to block it, right? That's the next obvious stage. How do we block it? We use a second component that we call actually the bouncer or IPS, intrusion protection system, prevention system, sorry. And there are a bank of 20 of them. So you can use whatever makes sense in your context. Could be a high level, in your business logic, like in the Magento shop, in the tunnel uh, before payment, or it can be at various level, like on your reverse proxy, your load balancer, your firewall, you name it. And then the agent is instructing the IPS to block this IP he found in relation with these log traces, right? And the beauty of it is then the IP is reported to the CrowdSight network. We curate this IP and we send back those IPs in the whole network, meaning your IPS is fed both by the behavior as seen in your logs and by the reputation of the IP as seen at our network scale. That's why I was saying we are burning those IPs. We are constantly fighting the menace by creating resource scarcity on the one precious resource they have. Okay, so Philippe, you said so many wonderful things, uh, but the, the thing that resonates the most with me is that pugnacious nature, right? That we are taking the fight to the enemy, right? And I think so many times, and, and you mentioned DDoS attacks. It is, it is still amazing to me that companies are offering reactive and proactive DDoS solutions. To me, personally, a reactive DDoS solution is the equivalent watching someone that you love get beat up and not only asking them to fight back, but then ask them to chase that person down. It's so much better because the company that is offering the DDoS software or the DDoS solution, why not tell the customer how the attacker got in, what you're doing to prevent it? Take the excuse away from the customer because in most cases, that's why they hired you in the first place. They don't know how to track the IP or who's behind it and all of that. So I just, I, I love the fact 
that you're talking about being very pugnacious and proactive. Those are the two words that, that come to mind. And I just love that. Yeah, and band together. Because, you know, the, the common point with all victims in the world, Sean, is that they feel guilty. And that's terrible. Because when you hacked, you feel guilty as a CISO, you feel guilty as a CTO, you feel guilty that's as right. a CISO, you feel guilty as a SecOps. And the same thing happened for people that are victims of rapes or other even more terrible things, right? And what we want to say is like, hey, come on, we can just be together, right? We can just together stick as an army and be stronger than the enemy, chase them down, burn their resources until they are either harmless or far less nefarious. And this is something we cannot possibly achieve on our own. This is a difference between a complicated problem and a complex problem. And a complicated problem is a, co a problem you can solve by yourself, right? A complicated equation, like, I don't know, like gravity, or, uh, the real uh, theory of relativity by Einstein is a complicated problem. That is solved by himself. And I'm glad he did. But he didn't need like a strong collaboration if we ignore his wife's work, right? But the thing is, a complex problem, on the other hand, is sending people to the moon. There's absolutely no chances in the world even Einstein could do it from his backyard because it requires so many cross -dis interdisciplinary uh, methods and, and knowledge to be able to do this. So the problem is for the last 40 years, we dealt with the cybersecurity as we deal with a complicated problem alone with mm -hmm. more method, more money, more, 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 but actually not with a different prospect on how to do it. And what we offer here is to deal with it as a, compl a complex problem for what it is, like something we can only solve all together as a team with interdisciplinary skills and knowledge and by bending together. And this is what we bring also at the table, this tool that can help everyone for free, forever, to bend together. I think it's more than just a hopeful message. I think it's the only solution, this is the only way to shatter down this cyber criminal industry. Oh, Philippe, very well said, my friend. Very well said. All right, so Philippe, let's let's do this. Let's ask some questions that are specific to you. And so we're gonna find out a little bit more about Philippe Umo. And the first question for you, sir, is name your favorite musician or band. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Supertramp. I love what they do, Pink Floyd, and I know this kind of pop, uh, old pop, 90s. Really, really strong fan. So if I had to name one, I'd probably say, uh, yeah, Supertramp. Okay, Supertramp. All right. Very good. And how about a favorite hobby or pastime? I love pinballs. I have pinball machines at home. I restore them. I play with them. Okay. It's like, yeah, it's really, I love them. So how did you get into pinball machines? When I was a kid, my, my father was actually a doctor. And uh, on Wednesdays, uh, which is the, the day of uh, kids in France, he used to be uh, not working, but you know, doctors, they always work. Actually, right. by right. then they were always working. And um, he sometimes had to see people in the hospital. And when he was doing this, he felt a bit guilty. So what he did is he brought us to the next arcade so we could play with my brother. And there we found like those fantastic machines, the pinball machines, the arcade games and all made me a gamer and it opened my mind to a lot of you know gaming helped me a lot in many things i'm doing on the on the daily basis so it's a hope message for parents if your kids are playing a lot okay not too much you have to fix limits right but if they are playing a lot they're actually training their brain because you you don't stop 
gaming when you get old. You get old when you stop gaming. Wow. Okay. Philippe, that is, uh, that is sage advice. <laughs> Very sage advice. It's, it's interesting because there, there is a, there is a theme where, and, and most of us, we were either consumers of, of games or, you know, we you know, built our own. And I think to your point, you, it, it helps you in so many other ways, right? Not the least of which is what's going on now with CrowdSec, and that is the community aspect, right? And I love what you said before about the difference between complicated and complex, right? And so complex brings people together, right? And that's, that's something that gaming does. I mean, when you see these, these YouTubers and they've got thousands of people watching them, you know, play Call of Duty or whatever, that is a community, Philippe. Right. And that is because they have gathered around a game or an experience. And um, I just love that. And so I'm, I'm appreciative of you talking about that. And uh, yeah, who, who knew that, you know, your, your father uh, dropping you off at the arcade would turn into what it has today? Yeah, funny enough, someone uh, coined us uh, earlier as being a multiplayer firewall which kind of joined the two ends as well. Multiplayer firewall. Okay. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, Philippe. All right. So how about a favorite place to visit on vacation? Well, if we come to France, I would avoid going to Paris because this place is too crowded and this it's like, it's not really what is sold to you in the catalogs. Right? So if you come to France and I, and one of the, my favorite place in the world anyway is Corsica. Corsica is absolutely stunning. There are places like nowhere else in the world, ice, uh, those giant ice caps that dug into the mountain, some valleys with lakes and all, it's beautiful. There are those needles and uh, places where you can swim in the middle of nowhere. It's absolutely stunning. The food is delicious uh, and the place is like no, no others in the world to me. And uh, you know, try to get there around June, which is the best moment in the year. Uh, because nature is uh, is blooming and um that's that's uh that's a unique view in the world oh okay so the island of corsica yeah awesome awesome have to put that on the bucket list philippe uh, you should definitely and if you get there i'll give you more insights okay awesome awesome all right and so philippe let's let's ask this next question what teacher at any level has had the greatest impact on you you know, I doubled my, uh, oh, I wouldn't know how to translate it to the uh, American uh, system, but I doubled when I was uh, 16, right? So okay. late in the early uh, cycle. And because I was not so focused on what the guys were telling me, I had some facilities, but I was a bit lazy and all. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, it doesn't deserve my attention. And the, uh, the bio teacher was specifically not good this year. And the next year, I had an extremely good bio teacher. And as a matter of fact, biology was one of the major in my, uh, in my uh, specialty. And okay. I was like, okay, that's a world of difference. This guy talks to me. These guys know what he's talking about. He digs the subject. And at some point, I started to ask a lot of questions, being trusted in what he had to say. And he was like, he didn't have the answer sometimes, but he would get home and bring me the answer the next day. I was like, Okay, man, you're the definition of a teacher. Now, teach me. 
because I'm ready to learn whatever with you. So I learned a lot of stuff in biology thanks to him. He made a huge difference in my mindset. And now I want to be a teacher myself. So meaning when I exist this company and you know I have a lot, lot of money and I don't have to work anymore, I'm going to give pro bono training in business. I'll do a business masterclass for free for people that are like in need, but have like this grit, you know, have this street smartness and that could benefit from, from someone, you know, helping them. And I, I kind of love it, like giving this explanation of what I learned over time. And it's thanks to him. He changed my life literally. Oh, that's great. And great teachers do that, right? And that's, and that's, you know, here in the States, we have this understanding that teachers aren't paid as much as they should be. But as the husband of a teacher, I can tell you one of the things that you cannot put a price tag on is when you are out. And this happened with my wife recently where she teaches third grade. And so we ran into one of her former students who's now a high school student. And she was just so amazed at what a wonderful young man he's become. And he spoke very nicely of her. And that, that to me is priceless, Philippe. Your bio teacher that you're talking about, what he did for you, you can't put a price tag on that, man. They are people driven. They are vastly underpaid. And what strikes me the most is we should get now in a community, uh, in an economy of knowledge. Knowledge is more precious than production lines because production line, you can replicate them. Knowledge is the only thing that if you share, you don't lose value. You actually create value by sharing. This is also the thinking behind. So behind concept, I mean, the, the, the knowledge is the only thing that doesn't lose value when you give it away. And it just takes value. And that's so important. And this is how mankind actually achieved its biggest results anywhere in any uh, direction. You know, if you look at the James Webb telescope, which is an absolute beauty of the mind, it required a lot of collaboration. It's a complex problem to solve, but they are going to share their discoveries with the world, with mankind. And we're all going to progress based on that. So I'm pretty sure this economy should be the center of mass, you know, people knowing, people teaching the other, educating the other and making them, you know, digital citizen or citizen uh, of the next uh, gen that will solve the problem we left behind us and, uh, and the problem that are yet to come. So, yeah, they are the most important people in the world to me. And that's why I want to join the crowd, their crowd at some point and help them somehow. And uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Cannot agree more. That's an important area of, uh, of uh, intellectual interest. Yeah, well, Philippe, I have no doubt that you will accomplish that. And um, I look forward to the time when you are freed up to be able to, to give back in the way that you just described. All right, so Philippe, we've come to our last question. And this one has us jumping in the time machine. And we are going to go back to 18-year-old Philippe. Uh, what is the Philippe of today going to tell his 18-year-old self? Be brave because the, 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 you have no idea what the future holds for you. And there will be uh, disappointments, but there will be also uh, great victories. And trust in yourself, you know, uh, look, look for your, to be happy. You know, look for this, you will be happy. And there is something behind it, like the freedom is key to you. You want to be an entrepreneur, it won't be a, a bed of roses, but go for it. Because it's the thing that will make you proud, uh, happy, uh, and uh, a person that is having its right position in the world. Because I've tried to be an employee at some point, it was a real mess, really not for me. So don't go for the employee side, go for the entrepreneur side, or go for what you think your guts you should do. Be bold, be brave, 
the future lies ahead of you and uh, never be uh, despaired or, or down because uh, you know it doesn't help anything so yeah i would say something like it's not very thoughtful but i think i would just say this no philippe listen man that is the thing that would speak most to your 18 year old self and that's why i love the question because it is you almost writing a personal letter or you know a a personal statement to yourself right? yeah it's, there's something that is like taking your time is never losing your time because sometimes you know we are ripe or mature at different ages for different things and uh taking your time to learn for example math maybe i was not receptive to math when i was like 20 and i can't tell you i was not I was supposed to do high complicated, uh, high degree math, complicated math, and it was really not my stuff. And nowadays I'm ready and I like it. I love it. You know, uh, quantum physics, mathematics, uh, fundamental physics are my stuff now. You, I could have possibly thought I would like it, you know, back in the days. So taking your time is never losing your time. Oh, I love that. Taking your time. It's better, huh? <laughs> yeah, taking your time is never losing your time. Philippe, you are dropping some serious wisdom here, my friend. I appreciate it. All right, so Philippe, as with all good things, our time has come to an end. But before we go, first, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Paris, France. It is an honor, um, truly, to have you here on the podcast. But also, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you, to, to follow you or, or, or reach out to you? Sure. Uh, so I'm uh, reachable on, on LinkedIn. This is really my daily. Uh, you can join us on uh, crowdsec.net. And I insist on the fact that this, it's a C at the end and not an X. Uh, crowdsec.net. And uh, there's a, a Discord server where, where you're welcome to join. Join the army. Uh, we're in a fight and uh, everybody's welcome. Awesome. And of course, we will have that in the show notes. But again, Philippe, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And Takame Presents family, thank you as always for listening. And be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends. And thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.